How do you even think about buying a home when you're entering grad school and doctorate programs and you realize that you're going to be one of those starving academics? How are you supposed to save? You're living on your credit cards for anything that comes up in your life. Well, I've got someone really exciting today on the podcast. I just finished this interview and I never do this. I just turn the camera right back on. I'm just going to go off the cuff because I had such an incredible conversation with Kendall. So for those of you out there thinking you can't do this, my favorite thing she said in this interview, someone who worked 10 years in school, struggled because she believed in what she's doing now with her doctorate degree. Once she purchased the home that she admitted she over-researched, she said she felt immediate peace. Play that music. Hey, everybody. Um, okay, so here's a little behind the curtain on these interviews. Sometimes I talk to the people ahead of time, but I try not to talk to them too much because I just want to hear it live and for real. So I talked with Kendall for about 30 seconds, and I found out something really cool. I am not the smartest person on the interview today. So uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Kendall, who has a doctorate, bought her first home. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank Kendall. You. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. So what's your doctorate in? You said psychology? Psychology, yes. I'm a psychologist. I focus in uh, the perinatal realm. So do a lot of postpartum loss, things like that. Oh, interesting. Wow. Wow. How cool. And I'm so excited that, you know, I'm helping doctors buy homes. This is so fun. <laughs> Very much so. so fun. Uh, I was going to say, you know, a lot of realtors love to say it around the water cooler that, you know, we might as well be therapists. Um <laughs> because it is a very emotional journey. So before we get into your backstory and how you got here in your journey, give us your one big tip, your one big uh, advice to people trying to buy a home. Yeah, yeah. So I think the biggest thing that really hit me was that I was trying to do somebody else's job. I was trying to figure out all of this information by myself, using all of those online calculators, Googling article after article, listening to podcasts. And at the end of the day, one of the simplest moments was just reaching out to a lender, giving hypotheticals and actually getting some answers. Uh, so I felt pretty silly at the end, realizing how much time I had spent when I could have just asked somebody for some help. So the, the world's most perfect soundbite <laughs> right there. Like if I could encapsulate what my podcast is, it would be that. And there are so many, so many smart people out there like you, and I've known you for all of two minutes, and I'm enthralled. Um, and it's just, I'm so glad that at this point in my life, I decided to just stop and say, wait a minute. I know a lot of them suck, but the ones that don't suck can get you through this. Mm -hmm. um, that's amazing. I just had an interview. The last interview I did was with the doctor. And he goes, oh my God, I'm WebMDing my lender and my, because <laughs> he's a general practitioner. And he was like, oh, okay. So tell us about, let's get deep into your story. I'm curious. Okay. Yeah. You were, you were in school for what, like 7,000 years? How long to be a doctor? Yeah, just about, well, it's, you know, you've got your four-year undergrad and then depending on if you go master's or not, you have your two, three year long master's. Um, and then you have several more on top for the doctorate. So I think mine all in all was, I think, about 10 plus years or so 
I have a final year. Where were you living? Um, all around. So the program I attended was in Nebraska. So I was originally from Colorado, bounced to Nebraska. Um, and then my version of residency was out in Washington. Um, and then we kind of stayed out here after that. So. Uh, okay. So where were you rent? Were you renting? Were you, what did you do in those periods? Yeah. So always renting, uh, renting for the 10 plus years of the journey. Um, and <laughs> really hated it. <laughs> And you said we, is it you and a partner, mm-hmm. you and cats? Who was it? Yeah, so me and my husband, uh, we lived temporarily with my brother when he was also in school. Um, but yeah, it's mostly just been me and my husband. What was the impetus then? Obviously, it sounds like you started doing crazy research on your own. What was what was the thing that got you started? Did you have to wait to settle to figure out where you were going to be before you want to start it? Uh, in terms of trying to figure out the whole process of buying a home? Correct. Um, I'm an over-researcher, so I've definitely looked things up many years before I probably even really needed to. Um, but yeah, we knew, we always knew we kind of wanted to end up in Washington. Getting residency out here was sort of a, a trial year to see if we loved it as much as we hoped we would. And so we knew within you know months, I also uh, found out I was pregnant about five days after residency started. So that was a fun process. <laughs> wow. So we were you know out here, we felt settled, we felt at home. So we began the process of hopefully trying to buy a home, but... Um, I started my own private practice afterwards. And obviously, when you have your own business, you have to wait those two plus years of tax statements. Um, So there was some of that just kind of um, recovering. I always was given sort of a slingshot analogy. When you choose these fields where there's just all of this schooling, you feel like you're going backwards in debt and time while everybody else is moving forward. And eventually that slingshot just kind of lets go and you start to catch up and even surpass. So I feel like we're finally in a little bit of that momentum stage of things. That is so is such a great, you know, I, I try to explain to people the different paths that people take. And the slingshot path is one that many, many people take. And as the the guide for home, there's there's two ways you can do it. If you're lucky enough to have a savings, an inheritance, a small amount, a chunk of change, you can try to do it all at once. But for you, that would have been uh, a residency with a pregnancy um, while trying to buy a house. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but, uh, the, sl- the slingshot mentality, what I love about that is that you can start your education early, kind of in anticipation of the slingshot. Is that what you did? That was the hope. So the hope was that there would eventually be recovery. <laughs> <laughs> and what was your, so what was your time period? How long did you, how long, how many years ago did you move out there? Into Washington? Yes. So I think we've just hit, I think we're on our fourth year now. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you reached out to me at the uh, Thanksgiving weekend. I actually mm-hmm. went and looked it up. It was <laughs> Sunday, Thanksgiving weekend. Were you just sitting around and went, okay, fine. <laughs> A little bit. So we, I kind of knew, you know, I needed that to your tax statement. So I knew that we were going to be approaching that. Then um, some of my concerns, I had this really big fear of what if I save up for this down payment and think I'm going to be able to qualify for enough and then I get there and I realize, no, you don't qualify for enough. You know, you're not there yet. Um, and I felt like I just had all these questions, felt like I didn't have a lot of clarity. So I had gone into Spotify and searched, I think something like first time home buyer, hoping I'd land, you know, maybe a podcast episode or something and found an entire podcast dedicated to it, which was pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah, it was, uh, it was one of the things at the start. I, I Googled first time home buyer and I got 19 pages in and I just gave up because there wasn't one realtor. And I said, okay, someone needs to talk to these people. Yeah. Now, your very first communication with me, you talked to me about something. This is a little a little deeper level. For, if you guys are brand new starting, 
I, I, I think this is really important for you to hear. You have to do three things when you're getting ready. You have to work on your credit score. Um, regardless, I mean, I'm not saying you can't buy if you have a low credit score, but you get better stuff, better rates, better loan programs. And then you have to work on your savings and your debt. That's the balancing act. You asked me about it. Tell us about your journey of trying to save for something while trying to reduce a debt at the same time. Yeah. So I, I tried to figure out, you know, are there certain numbers? You know, I think you hear something like 30% debt to income or, you know, 30 seems to, to stick out to me. Um, and so I think I had this idea that I needed to be at that realm, but also have a home um, down payment. I mean, I know one of the things that we tried to do was you say this all the time, and this is probably a point I'll emphasize again later, but uh, know your area. And so we had done a lot of research in where do we want to be and what is typical of those homes? What do they typically cost for an entry level that would work for our needs? My husband and I both work from home. We have a son. Uh, so we kind of had to try to figure out within the area, what's a reasonable starting point. And from there, work our way backwards and think, okay, well, if you need the 3% down, if you need the 1% to 2% closing costs, what does that equate to if you need a $500,000 home? Um, so that kind of gave us that savings goal that we were trying to then work our way backwards. Okay, if we want to do this in this many months, how, many, how much money do we need to be saving a month to kind of get us there? I felt a little silly later with some of the debt stuff. I think... One, when talking with some of my unicorn team, I'm not saying this is great, but one of the things that was told to me is homes are just really expensive now. And so they recognize that not everybody can stay in some of that preferred debt to income ratio. And so they were saying that they'll go a lot higher than I think was traditionally accepted. Um, so now knowing what I know, I think I maybe should have emphasized a little bit more that down payment savings goal first, just because they do kind of let you get away with a little bit more than that 30% for debt to income. Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. That was just some of the information I had been given. Absolutely perfect information. This is real deep for those of you who are really into it. What she's talking about is typically you're going to hear a whole lot of generalizations and you're right, Kendall, it's 30%. Uh, the DTI, you have a front end and a back end, all these real estate terms. But basically with an FHA, and this is the math I've been trying to explain to people, with an FHA and sometimes even with a conventional, you can get up to 40 to 48% DTI. Now, the articles all say people paying half their money to pay their rent and how bad that is and how that's ruining our economy. Understood. But if we can't beat the man, then you figure out, well, if I'm going to be spending 40% for my rent anyway, what do I need to save? 3% down, 5% down, plus 1% to 3% for closing costs. And then you go and do that at a high, what we call DTI, debt to income ratio, 40%. You still can get a loan, but now you're paying yourself instead of your landlord. Mm -hmm. So... What did you run into with your debts? Were you looking at manageable monthly payments, but large gross? I say that because that's usually student loans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we had student loans. There was also things like um, some car loans. There was some credit cards that, you know, when you're in when you're in a grad program that pays you pennies, if something breaks on your car, it's going on a credit card. You know, that's just survival in that time period. Um, so there was some credits, you know, that were credit lines utilization that was higher than, you know, would be ideal um, so we were working with like a few different types of debt and we were kind of trying to do a little bit of that snowball method where you're trying to pay extra towards one yes. and then roll it into another. 
Um, one of the things that had hung me up a little was how it was impacting my credit score. So that idea of if you look at your credit score and it breaks down all the different factors that are negatively or positively impacting it for mine, the thing that was kind of a, a ding against it was that credit utilization was a little too high. Um, I think they want 30% as well, if I remember correctly, um, in order to kind of have it in that green. Correct me if I'm wrong there. but No, you're right. One of the hardest things about the snowball effect, because I believe in the snowball effect, but is the immediate credit scores don't jump right away. Because if you have three cards that are all at 70% usage and you're just knocking one down as opposed to knocking them all down, you could you can go from 70% to 60%. And then if you get them all below 50%, your credit score will go up. When in reality, there's a better way to, you know, it, and that's where you have to understand your timing. There's a better way to pay them off long-term. If you snowball one down, your utilization still kind of stinks because you got two at 70%. But then you're going to be able to roll into a higher payment and get them down quicker. Yeah. So, so I will say, I I... I want to say it was on one of your episodes. So if I am misquoting you, cut me off, stop me. Um, as we were getting a little bit closer, I was thinking, gosh, I don't, I don't know how else to do this. I can't throw any extra money at the debt. I'm still trying to get up to the down payment that I need. And there was an episode that I think talked about ask for a credit line increase. Am I getting that right? Okay. Yep. And it was shockingly simple. I mean, of course it is, right? They want you to owe them more money. So I just logged into my credit cards and I said, Hey, can I have a credit line increase? And they said, confirmed right away, here you go. And all of a sudden my credit score boosted right away um, because I didn't pay down more, but it looked like I wasn't using as much of my credit anymore, which yeah. is- Yeah, uh, your credit, your credit usage jumps up. Yeah. There, I, I, you know, I've, I posting on social media all the time, like, why don't they teach you this in school? And everyone comes back to me, they did, it was called civics class, dummy. And I'm like, okay, cool. Then why aren't you doing it? Mm-hmm. Because it was 10 years ago. You know, it, everyone at 28 years old starts going, if, if you don't dig into it, um, and that's where your over-research, your, your over-researcher paid off. Um, although uh, a unicorn probably could have told you that too yes. if you talked to them earlier. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but yeah, um, ask, ask, ask. Great, great tip. Now, okay, so tell me what it, what it looked like for you where you were trying to balance paying down your debt and build your down payment. Were you, were you, you had a chunk of, chunk of money every month and what were you doing with it? Yeah. So we, we try to stick to a budget. You know, we do the whole Excel sheet where it's, you know, you've got the month broken in two. I knew what bills were coming up. And so every time I was paid, I would just look at how much money do I typically need for this section of the month? Whatever was left over was sent into the savings account. Um, but then I had pre-set up ahead of time just extra payments going towards the credit card so that I didn't have to remember to log in and make those extra payments. So I'd kind of decided ahead of time when I looked at how much debt do I have, you know, I want to buy a home in a year and a half, tried to figure out like, okay, I need to shave off, you know, at least this much amount on the debt. And then using credit card calculators, tried to figure out what's the best way to do that factoring in interest. So it was, it was a little bit of math up front to try to figure that out. But then I kind of just set up those auto payments um, so they were automatically pulled out and then whatever was left over in the account just got sent straight to savings for the down payment. So, Okay, so you hit me up at Thanksgiving. Uh, I'll cut to the ending for everybody. You closed on May 1st. We did. Um, congratulations. Thanks. What were the uh, differences when you talked to when the unicorn ended up getting you to a lender? Um, was there any, did that change 
your payment structure and what you were doing with the saving and the debt reduction? Did you find new options, different things that you weren't, or did you just go in and say, what can I do? Yeah, I think that's um, a little bit of me working harder than I should have needed to ahead of time was I think solving some of that earlier. By the time I was meeting with my team, I had a lot of ducks already kind of in a row. Um, So they didn't really have to add any corrections or any adjustments. Um, One of the things that I felt so silly about later on was that I agonized over um, trying to figure out how much money am I making? How much debt do I have? What kind of down payment do I have? And just the the agony over, will I even qualify for enough? And it felt so silly later. I just reached out to a lender. I had a friend that had a great experience with a lender. So I reached out to him ahead of time and just said, Hey, here's my hypotheticals. This is what I make. This is what our debts are. What kind of house would we potentially qualify for? And he was able to give us a ballpark range. And I think that number, that confirmation made our timeline speed up so much. This fear went away. This reality of this is possible. Let's get this ball rolling um, made it real. And that's when I kind of really started hitting the ground running with things. So one of the things that I'm trying to uh, a barrier I'm trying to break is that is that thoughtful people like you, um, uh, both on the intellectual side and on the emotional side, tend to wait too long and I'm telling everybody, call. You're not wasting anybody's time. Yeah. All right. You, well, a lot of the real estate industry will make you feel like it. And guess what? Those people suck and don't work with them anyway. But you should feel like you're not wasting someone's time. You know, it, and I would rather somebody reached out to me two years ahead of time and I got them to a good team and then they got the numbers because all that does is create targets for you. You created your own targets through your own research and you as you humbly said, uh, it would have been better for you. And I hope the people out there are listening and know that. Um, the good thing is that uh, it, it didn't slow you down. You still bought a house in five months. How was the process for you? Yeah, the actual searching for the home process. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, It was quick. It was very, very quick. We um, One of the things that kept sticking out to me when listening to your podcast was like, it's that idea of, you know, the best time to buy was yesterday, you know, (laughs) that like get this ball rolling, get going. Um, One of the things that we did to try to get us that last little boost of our down payment was that uh, we didn't want to miss the spring and summer buying months. We wanted to try to have everything set up so that we could then see what hit the market and have that opportunity. And so we got a little vulnerable with a family member and asked and said, hey, can we borrow money that we hopefully get to give back to you very, very quickly, but it kind of cushions us. It makes it look like we're ready to go. And then if the process takes three months, we're still saving along that way. We can hand you that check right back. Um, But because that was in there, it kind of cushioned the account that made the lenders happy. And so it meant that we got to kind of hit the the ground running much quicker in our process. I think it sped that up maybe another two or three months early. Um, the actual process of buying a home. So we, we had one that we encountered and there was a little bit more emotion involved in that house. It was this really beautiful yard. There was kind of this romantic feel to it and needed a lot of work. It had been on the market for months. And so that was really the thing that helped us really push was like, Hey, we kind of want this house. Let's just start reaching out to everybody that we already had established relationships with the lender, the agent and say, yeah. Hey, let's just try, let's just try to get an offer in on this thing. Um, that one kind of fell through. There was some weird sort of sketchy feeling stuff that happened with that one. But at the end of the day, that was okay. It was just sort of our first trial. We weren't desperate yet. Um, but then it wasn't, it wasn't too long after that the home that we ended up buying popped on the market. We saw it. And I think this comes back to your advice, know your area. 
for years, we've been monitoring this area. We know what is typical of the houses in this area, what they cost, what you get for the price range you're looking. And so when this house popped up, we knew we had a gem. Like we knew this one was a good house. And so I think what was cool about that is we walked in and we knew immediately this works for us. This is a great price range for us. We put an offer in immediately. Um, we Part of that was strategic. We knew they had an open house on Saturday. The house had been listed on Thursday. So we knew, well, if we put an offer in today, they have to either accept or deny our offer by Friday. That means they don't get to have their open house Saturday. And so because we knew our area, we knew there was no fear of, well, what if something better comes along? Because we knew the better, the better was in front of us. Um, so I think that was something that helped was that confidence of knowing what we were looking at and feeling confident pulling the trigger. So That's huge. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, rewind, rewind. The tip of understanding your area uh, so many people get caught. It's funny, like you you talked about the romance of the first one. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling if you found that first one later on in your process, the days on market would have been enough to make you realize that no matter what the romance is, there's some red flags here. Mm-hmm. Because when you found the gem, as you said, and this is 2023 rules, gang, if you find a gem right now, the fact what you did correctly that, that uh, made you guys able to get this home was... You had done all the research. You hadn't spent time looking at at list prices or just bobbing around open houses. You've been watching what's going on, what's selling for what, mm-hmm. and you knew the value of the home before you went in. So I get a lot of people that say, we're going to take it slow. And I say, cool, if you want to take it slow, I'm not taking you to any open houses. If you want to take it slow this weekend, grab a bottle of wine and go through every sold home on Zillow. And then Sunday, go drive by all of them so that you can say a home in this neighborhood costs 400. A home in this neighborhood costs 500. That price is right mentality where you can nail it right on. That's awesome. And the, the strategicness of going fast. I love when people do Thursday and they let me show it on Thursday and Friday. A lot of people right now do Thursday and say no showings till Saturday. And then we're like, dang it. So you snuck in and got it, huh? We did. We did. We think we had a mildly motivated seller. Um, There was a little caveat in there that said, we'll consider full price or more offers before the open house. So we knew right away, like, okay, well, if we offer asking price, that might be enough. Um, And it, it was. So That's fantastic. And it was great because you... Offering, you know, at the end of March or, or April of this year, there was still, it was still kind of that lull period, but now it's, it's gone bonkers. Mm-hmm. Um, how was the process for you of inspection and, and going through the, the process of getting your loan together and closing on the home? Yeah. So inspection went perfectly. The inspector said the home was in great condition. Everything looked fantastic, which that was a big thing for us was, uh, especially being first time home buyers, you know, you're not flush with cash. You just gave away all your cash to get into the market. So we didn't want anything that had any big, scary, risky things that we're going to need, you know, tens of thousands of dollars right away. Um, so the inspection coming through clean was, was a huge relief. Um, the obstacle we did not see coming was the appraisal. We were told that appraisals, you know, if you are listening to your agent, they've run their comps, the selling agent ran their comps. We offered an asking price. We were told like, hey, that's all looking good. This is fair. Usually in, in, in the appraisal situation, they're also kind of taking that into effect of like, okay, you were willing to pay this price knowing the comps of the area. Sure, it's that price. Um, and then our appraisal came back 13000 under the listing price, which 
if you don't know, which we did not know, your loan will not cover that. So somebody's on the hook for that 13K. So whether it's you, whether it's a seller, where it's somebody giving up some kind of commission somewhere, that money has to come from somewhere. Um, so I think this is one of those situations where working with a realtor who understands first-time home buyers was advantageous for us. Um, we were able to get on the phone with him and just be very honest. Like, this is the money we have. You know, we worked really hard to get just the money that we had for the down and the closing. We have nothing else. And there was no shame involved. There was no judgment involved. He gave us our options. And then he went back to the seller's agent and said, We're not playing games. They're first time home buyers. This is what they've got. You know, if that works for you guys, you have to bring down the costs. Otherwise, you know, we'll just have to walk. Um, and so I think that that honesty, that comfort, that lack of shame was really comfortable. And luckily the seller did just come down that 13,000. So it ended up working for us. Um, but it was definitely a, a nerve wracking situation for a minute there. That, that it's a fantastic explanation of the appraisal. You know, I talk to people about it all the time. I haven't gone crazy deep into all the different aspects within the podcast because it changes based mm -hmm. on the market. So again, I'm, I'm in that same place where I'm like, okay, don't over-research it. Just hire someone who's awesome. And then when you're in it, you know, at that point, your unicorn's able to say, okay, we were the first offer. They took it. They didn't do the open house. Mm -hmm. To me, that means like, they don't think they're going to have a swarm of people over the list price. So that gives you guys a little bit of an advantage. And if the appraisal comes in low, the seller is thinking, okay, unless I have five people behind me that are willing to write an offer that says, I'll pay over and above the appraisal, the next buyer is going to come in and they're probably going to get the same value on their mm -hmm. appraisal. So do I want to start over again? Or do I just want to close with Kendall? And besides, Kendall's really nice. So why don't we just close with her? So did you get a chance to meet him? Or was it that weird, like, don't even don't even talk to him yeah, separate? It's kind of like that. We had kind of seen him around. He was there working with a contractor to fix a beam that was broken on the day that the inspection, yeah. inspection happened. So I think he got to see us. He saw that we had a young child. So maybe that was in our favor. Um, but we never had, like, the official actual introduction. They're getting they're getting real tight on that now um, because we have so many problems with redlining where people are discriminating. Yeah, and you know, I mean, there's they're at this point right now they're telling us in some states love letters are illegal. You know, we don't want to see the pictures, and it's crazy. Yeah, so that's why your presentation from your team needs to be at its best. So, how is it? You've been there. What? Where are we? You've been there, what, 18 days? If Maybe. I think we didn't quite maybe. move in right away. We uh, had a little okay. bit of overlap with the rental. So we got in here and got Good a little bit done. So. Is this your, am I your first, your first like on uh, like Zoom type thing in your new place? No. So I do telehealth from <sighs> home, but it's kind of oh, a okay. disaster behind me. So. <laughs> no, no, no. I did, I did a, a, an interview about a month ago and, and I said, boy, it looks great. It looks like you're ready to hang some art and stuff. And he goes, I spent all my money on my condo, David. I don't have any money for art. <laughs> like, I love it. Yeah, mine is but, time. But, you don't have time. Like right now, this piece of art is propped on a trash can. <laughs> lovely. You do what you gotta do. <laughs> well, you said your son's four? He's three now. Three now. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you've got, you got a three-year-old, two people working from home in a new house. Your hands are full. Yes. So... <laughs> This was incredible. And again, everybody, talk to me in Thanksgiving. 
in the house now, you know, a week or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and here we are just not even to summertime yet. Yeah. Um, I, the best time to buy a house is yesterday. I saw a quote today that was five years ago. <laughs> the best time to buy a house is five we years ago. But, right. Yeah. We have yeah. that are only four years or two, two to four year range apart. And yeah, it feels like we're in a different generation sometimes with, you know, what they have. So Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, whether whether it's school or whether it's living your best life or whether it's whatever you're doing now, the, the, there are 20-year-olds that are exploring different places with what they're doing. And, you know, eventually you can get there, but that down payment is not what it used to be. And, yeah. you know, that that's why we say, you know, that's why I started this to tell people, look, get a plan. I'm not saying buy a house when you're 22, but I'm saying the average age last year was 36. And I'm pretty sure I know a lot of 30-year-olds that have their stuff together. They just need a plan. Yeah. Well, and one thing that really hit us when we were renting was as you watch people own their homes and you realize every year that you don't own, their stuff's locked in and yours isn't. And I don't mean to say that yours never changes, right? When you own a home, your taxes can increase. You might have these random years. We have very expensive repairs that are needed. But what we saw was we have family members who have been locked into their mortgages who now have $1,400 mortgages. I think a family member with an $800 mortgage. Our friends got locked into a mortgage where then our rent every year going up $300, $400. And so what we watched is as they had sort of the stability and expectation of their budget, ours changed every year. And so when you think about that, even just in a year or two, what a difference that makes, that was for us realizing, you know, gosh, I mean, the sooner you get in, the better you can lock in some of that. So... That that fixed portion is such a gigantic thing. And and everybody who goes on their mortgage calculators or whatever, the minute they start to extrapolate, they they tend to forget that. Yeah. And they're like, well, it's gonna cost me five hundred dollars more a month. That's six thousand dollars more a year. I'm all cool. In two years, your rent's gonna be six hundred dollars more a month. Yep. So, you know, and people are like, I don't want to buy because what if I have to fix my sink? I say, Cool. If you have to fix your sink next year, your first month you'll have an extra three hundred dollars to fix your sink. Yeah. Because your rent would have gone up that much. Yep. Yep. It's uh it, it is a and the fun part is um you're gonna in ten years, you're gonna be talking to somebody else your age now, and they're gonna be talking about your mortgage payment the same way you're talking about someone's oh my god, fourteen hundred. Yeah. It's a scary thought, so, but that's what we thought too. And when you yeah. that fear of oh, what if it comes crashing down? And I think if you do your research, you realize it's just not likely. It's not going to happen. But even if it did, you, you really can only use historical data to help. And the historical data yeah. is showing me the best time to buy was four years ago. So it, you know, I, I keep, I keep trying to tell everybody with the historical data and what we've gotten, where we're at. Uh, it, it's like we all would have loved to have bought um, Apple or Netflix um, at the beginning, but you know, we weren't ready to buy a house yet. Yeah. So, but at least we know we're still buying where we're going to catch, you know, whatever we can catch and enjoy the run up. And most importantly, enjoy that stability for you, your son, enjoy that fixed rate, you know, being able to know whatever I budgeted this year, next year, I can keep that same budget. Uh, if I want to put money away, cause my rent's not going to randomly change, Yeah. you know? And no one's going to sell your house out from underneath you either. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know. we had that happen in a rental. We were in there for all of eight months. We had a baby and yep, we got the notice. Hey, he wants to sell. You guys got to be out in a few months. And it's a devastating feeling. 
with an infant. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. I can't tell you the, we were just so shocked at the immediate peace we felt once we moved into our own home. I mean, I know there's fear too. There's fear around things, but there has just been such an immense peace and a settledness that feels really good. You know, I'm four years into the podcast and I'm realizing more and more that my, my, before and afters aren't going to be for another three or four years. Mm. You know, it's like, I, I'm so glad that you said there is an immediate piece because I don't have the sexy Bitcoin. My, my money tripled in, you know, three months. Yeah, It's, this is the best thing for you. It's going to feel hard and weird for a little while, but call me in eight years. You'll think I'm the greatest thing ever. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, well, I will bookend this the same way I opened it. Um, part of the exciting thing of what I do is getting people way smarter than me to validate this process. So thank you, doctor, for, uh, for, for, I I know you're going to help a lot of people. And obviously that's a a big part of what you are doing with your life. So, um, I really, I mean, you just moved in, you got a a toddler and you took the time that shows me your servant's heart. (laughs) Thank you. You're doing God's work, helping those people. And good luck to all the moms and everybody that you're working with. And I, I really hope that you enjoy the home and that stability and, and enjoy that peace. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, and thanks for the podcast. It was some of the only information I found that actually felt helpful and that I felt seen in. So I really appreciate it. Feeling seen. That's a good thing. Thanks, Doc. <laughs> thanks. Have Bye, Kendall. Done. You know, I got to learn my lesson at this point. I need to keep the cameras rolling uh, I talked with Kendall for another 20 minutes. Uh, what a articulate, intelligent, well-grounded, smart person she is. And uh, there were so many wonderful lessons in there. Like I said, though, I'm just going to speak straight from the heart on this one. I believe that what Kendall brought to the table to help you were, yes, there were a lot of great little facts in there. Um, understanding not to, uh, I'm just reading right from the notes that I just scribbled. Understanding your credit line increases is a great way to get your score up. She was so concerned with uh, her debt to income ratio um, and we talked about the snowballing effect, but call your credit card companies and ask them for an increase. It gives you a better score because you show more, uh, well, you show less credit usage, more credit available. She also talked about the first place that, he looked at, that she looked at and uh, her and her husband, they fell in love with it. They had so many romantic ideas about it. Now, the important thing about that is once she figured out that uh, the over-researcher figured out how to do her research, don't go out and start looking at homes until you understand what the homes are selling for. How fast are they selling? What price are they selling? And make sure you're looking in the past three months. Don't look last year. Things in real estate are moving really quickly here in 2023. If you see something that has been on the market for a long time and you fall in love with it because of all these other factors, in this market right now, if something's been on the market for more than 30 days and hasn't been purchased, probably means some buyers went and found out something that you would eventually find out that would keep you from making an offer. Everything is about supply and demand. Everybody's talking about it. Dave Ramsey's talking about it. Big other financial pros are talking about it. The supply is at the all-time low. So if you see a home that has been on the market for months and months and months, that's too good to be true because there is not enough supply to keep up with all the demands. 
uh, you know, she also talked about talking to her family and understanding that there was no shame and no judgment in trying to move this along as quickly as you can. I think that's a great lesson. But probably the biggest lesson and the reason why I just wanted to press play right now and record this without writing anything out. Kendall is exactly the type of person that I want to make sure that I reach. Yes, I like to make sure that 18 and 20 year olds don't make the mistake that I made because I could have purchased at 20 years old. And instead I didn't. And I threw away $104,000 in rent. But there are other smart people out there, uh, either street smart or book smart, who once they get to a certain age, they've been struggling. They've decided and they understand, well, if I put enough time in here, whether it's trade school or grad school or building your own business, that eventually, once I get in that 30-something range, I'm going to be able to make some good choices. Well, the thing that Kendall brought to the table was she ended up trying to figure out her down payment and savings and debt reduction on her own. When she finally reached out to me and we got her in touch with the right team, that team explained to her that her numbers her goals, the things that she was shooting for on her own, based on her own research, that they were actually above and beyond what she needed. And it wasn't, hey, you can buy something for no money down sales pitch. It was, hey, no, you actually can do this for a lot, much, a lot easier than you think. And the process of being able to understand what that down payment with your debt and the savings that you have actually needs to be, cannot be determined by just a mortgage calculator or online research. These things need to be calculated by having a professional who knows all the options and all the programs because they do it day after day after day after day. You have to give them so many variables they punch in a machine that it's not something you can just punch in online to find it out for yourself. And Kendall mentioned that as she went through the process, having those that team behind her that really understands first-time homebuyers was an instrumental part in making sure that everything went smoothly. Now, I, I started this a few years ago, and I just kept saying it over and over again. Back in 2019, I started this because I wanted you people to, you people, <laughs> I wanted everybody out there. <laughs> I'm so Oh, see what happens when I just go straight off and I just start talking. Look, I wanted everybody out there to understand that for many of you, if you're renting and you've put the work in in your life, that the average age is 36 and it shouldn't be 36. It should be lower than that because you should be talking to somebody instead of trying to research it on your own. You don't have to reach out to somebody and think they're going to try to sell you a house immediately and make money off you. I know that's the way it feels, but there are other options. You also don't have to feel guilty because you think that, oh, I don't want this person to work for free. Guess what? I do. The unicorns do. We want to because we understand that the industry has ignored you. And if we take care of you, good things are going to come back to us eventually. Immediate peace. Kendall said when they closed on the home, she felt immediate peace. The fact that she is someone who is starting her own practice in mental health, a tough field to run out and do billboards, I take care of people who have problems, right? It's not the easiest thing in the world to grow a business. She's got a three-year-old, and her and her husband are both working from home in their new house. That's a lot going on in your life. For someone to go through a home buying process but feel immediate peace from that 
I think that's the most telling thing about the entire process. You can research on your own, but the more that you do this on your own, the more stress it's going to create for you because the less options and the less true answers, answers for you that you will actually know. And if you come to a unicorn team and it's not the right time or not the right fit, guess what? They're going to let you know that because the people out there who are doing this right, just like she's doing her practice right, we're not in it to try to turn everybody into a dollar sign. We're in it to make sure that everybody understands, I get it. There's a good way and a bad way to do this. Let's try to make sure we do it the good way. And even though she just closed on a home in the last two weeks and she hasn't made $50,000, they're not sitting there with some giant pile of equity. Just the fact that they did it created immediate peace. So if you're out there and you're thinking maybe this is going to be in your future, the best thing you can do instead of trying to plan on your own is plan with a team that is just as interested in your immediate future as your long-term future then you can find that immediate peace. All right, gang, this has been really, really fun. And I hope that these interview uh, episodes are helping you. Go to howtobuyahome.com, ask me a question. Let me know if you want to get hooked up with the unicorn team. Uh, I'm I'm whittling it down to the best of the best of the best in the country. Uh, right now, there are a lot of people asking me to be unicorns, but I am making sure that it's only the best of the best. Howtobuyahome.com, ask David. Ask your question, follow on TikTok, all the socials, Instagram, YouTube. We're going to be putting out a whole lot of stuff at the end of 2023. If you're listening in 2025, uh, you know, I hope things are better uh, in the future Um, because right now I feel like every time society takes one step forward, it's two steps back. But at least you can get settled with your immediate peace. You can do this. (laughs) 